Hi, my name's Mark Kelly and I'm part of the leadership at City Church Leeds and I want to thank you for downloading this podcast. You join us as we're journeying through the Gospel of Matthew and trying to understand what it really means to live in the Kingdom of God. For more information, other resources and media, please visit our website, citychurchleads.net. Search for us on Facebook or catch us on Twitter at cc underscore leads. We look forward to connecting with you. I'm going to read a chunk of Matthew to begin with because we're on to our second week uh, in our series where we're speaking of things in and around Matthew. I haven't got the, the artwork up there, unfortunately, but we'll have it back for next week. And what the bit of text we're going to just read together, or rather I'm going to read it and you're going to read it from your device or your book or whatever, is Matthew 4, verses 1 to 17. And I'm going to read from the message, so it might sound a little bit different to yours. So maybe if you're not used to the message, a bit more of incentive for you to look up Matthew 4, verses 1 through to 17. I'll give you a few moments to find that. I think it's so good that we read the Word. It is, it is the Word of God, inspired by Him, put down on paper and papyrus, and given to us in an amazing form that we have today. And uh, I'm going on a journey where I'm going through the Bible in one year. HTB have a Bible in one year series, and if you're on Facebook, you'll have seen a little green logo that says B-I-O-Y, which is Bible in one year. And I, I'm finding, I, I mean, we all read the Bible. I'm pretty sure we all read the Bible, but maybe some of us might read it in a bit of a scatter gun approach. We kind of read a bit here and we read a bit here. And over the years, we've probably read pretty much the scripture. Um, I've, never, I've never read through it. I've never gone through it in such a systematic fashion. And so I've, I've tried to do it a few years, you know, start of the year, I'm going to do it and it fades away, start of the year and it fades away. This year I'm doing really good. I'm on week 50 something now, whatever, the, however many days it is since the beginning of the year. And uh, I'm absolutely loving it. And do you know what? What I'm loving as well is the fact that God speaks to me days after I've, I've read what I've just read and I've been able to apply it practically to whatever's happening, whether that's a prayer point or helping somebody out or just being inspired and seeing it out there. So massive encouragement. If, it's not, if you're not in a habit of doing so, get stuck into his word and, and via his Holy Spirit, you'll just have fresh revelation. You'll just see new stuff. And I promise you, you'll be nourished and fed by reading it. Okay? So we're going to start with, uh, with Matthew uh, one, uh, 4 verses 1 to 17. Next, Jesus was taken up, taken into the wild by the Spirit for the test. The devil was ready to give it. Jesus prepared for the test by fasting 40 days and 40 nights. That left him, of course, in an extreme state of hunger, which the devil took advantage of in the first test. Since you are God's son, speak the word that will turn these stones into loaves of bread. Jesus answered by quoting Deuteronomy, it takes more than bread to stay alive. It takes a steady stream of words from God's mouth. Kind of just applies what I've just said to you, really. Um, for the second test, the devil took him to the holy city. He sat him on top of the temple and said, Since you are God's son, jump. The devil goaded him by quoting Psalm 91. He has placed you in the care of angels. They will catch you so that you won't so much as stub your toe on a stone. Jesus countered with another citation from Deuteronomy. Don't you dare test the Lord your God. For the third test, the devil took him to the peak of a huge mountain. He gestured expansively, pointing at the, the earth's kingdoms, how glorious 
they all were. Then he said, they're yours, lock, stock, and barrel. Just get down on your knees and worship me. They're yours. Jesus' refusal was curt. Beat it, Satan. Beat it, Satan. They didn't say it twice, but I felt like saying it. Because I think we can all say that to him every now and again. He backed, his, he backed his rebuke with a third quotation from Deuteronomy. Worship the Lord your God and only him. Serve him with absolute single-heartedness. The test was over. The devil left. And in his place, angels. Angels came and took care of Jesus' needs. When Jesus got word that John had been arrested, he returned to Galilee. He moved from his hometown, Nazareth, to take the lakeside village Capernaum, nestled at the base of Zebulun and Naphtali Hills. This move completed Isaiah's sermon. Land of Zebulun, land of Naphtali, road to the sea, over Jordan, Galilee, crossroads for the nations. Sitting out their lives in the dark, saw a huge light. Sitting in that dark, dark country of death, they watched the sun come up. This Isaiah prophesied sermon came to life in Galilee the moment Jesus started preaching. He picked up where John left off. Change your life. God's kingdom is here. The title of today's talk is Kingdom in Contention. You can call it whatever you like. I'm calling it Kingdom in Contention. And I'll go into why I've called it that in a little while. Let me ask you this, seemingly unrelated questions. If you find yourself in a non-physical confrontation or some kind of conflict situation, non-physical conflict situation, what weapon do you prefer to use? What weapon do you prefer to use? Do you write a letter? Do you, do you shout loudly? Do you use reasoned argument and try and get them on your side? Or do you crush with sarcasm? Or do you just run and hide? I don't do conflict. I'm running and I'm hiding. What do you do? How, how, how do you resolve conflict amicably? Is it even possible? How do we fight the good fight in a godly way? Now, last week we looked specifically at King Jesus and touched upon his kingdom. Well, this week I want to focus more on his kingdom. And simply put, we can think of God's kingdom like we're thinking of uh, his rule and his reign. That's been the simple kind of explanation as to what his kingdom is. It's his rule and his reign. But it can also get a bit more complicated than that. Think about how often Jesus needed to say the kingdom of heaven is like when explaining it to his disciples. The kingdom of heaven is like a farmer who sowed good seed. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure buried in a field. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. The kingdom of heaven is like a fishing net. Jesus' mission was nothing less than establishing God's rule and reign on earth. And that is bringing heavenly reality into our present reality. And yet, wasn't God always king? 
reigning supreme over his creation? Well, yeah and no. That's the dramatic tension that fuels the whole sweep of the Bible story. God is sovereign. He is sovereign. His power is absolute, always. And look, he could have removed rebellious humans and angels out of existence, couldn't he? Couldn't he? Yeah? He, or he could have forced them to obey in some kind of robot-like fashion. He could have won the argument, the rebellion, if you like, pretty decisively without needing to resort to sarcasm or a strongly worded letter. But you know what? He chose none of these things, did he? Even though that, that meant that his reign of righteousness, peace, and joy no longer prevailed on this earth. God instead chose another amazing way to begin to set his creation right. He sent his son. He sent, maybe, his strongly worded letter. Jesus told us in conflict that we need to turn the other cheek, which I think is pretty, pretty hard for most of us to do. Who finds it easy to turn the other cheek? Put your hand up. We need Jesus. Let me read from Matthew 5. Here's another old saying that deserves a second look. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth. Is that going to get us anywhere? Here's what I propose. Don't hit back at all. If someone strikes you, stand there and take it. If someone drags you into court and sues for the shirt off your back, gift wrap your best coat and make a present of it. And if someone takes unfair advantage of you, use that occasion to practice the servant life. No more tit-for-tat stuff. Live generously. That's a challenge, isn't it? I find that a challenge. It's there, Jesus said it. And by his Spirit, we can do it. Jesus was able to do all this mentioned in this bit of Scripture, but he did more, didn't he? He poured himself out for us as a solution to this conflict, this rebellion from creation to creator. God came as a human being, quietly bringing God's kingdom rule to earth. And how did he do that? He did that through acts of creative grace. Healing the sick, forgiving sin, throwing out demons. He brought the kingdom of God upon you. Now ultimately, Jesus was rejected and killed, but vindicated by God at the resurrection. And one day, he will be fully honored as king. But for now, for right now, and this is where I'm going with this kingdom in contention, because there's two, there's two kingdoms that are in contention. There's the earthly kingdom as the heavenly kingdom. We've still got weeds growing together with the wheat. God's kingdom has come, but it's still to come. There is still contention within this paradox while these two states run in parallel. He told another story to Jesus. God's kingdom is like a farmer who planted good seed in his field. 
That night, while his hired men were asleep, his enemy sowed thistles all through the wheat and slipped away before dawn. And when the first green shoots appeared and the grain began to form, the thistles showed up too. The farmhands came to the farmer and said, Master, that was clean seed you planted, wasn't it? Where did these thistles come from? He answered, Some enemy did this. The farmhands asked, Should we pull out the thistles? He said, No. If you weed the thistles, you pull up the wheat too. Let them grow together until harvest time. Then I'll instruct the harvesters to pull up the thistles and tie them in bundles for the fire, then gather the wheat and put it in the barn. That's from Matthew 13, verse 24 onwards. Jesus responds to his disciples, uh, questioning him later on about this. Jesus dismissed the congregation and went into his house. His disciples came in and said, Explain to us that story of the thistles in the field. So he explained. The farmer who sows the pure seed is the son of man. The field is the world. The pure seeds are subjects of the kingdom. The thistles are subjects of the devil. And the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age. The curtain of history. The harvest hands are angels. The picture of thistles being pulled and burned is a scene from the final act. The Son of Man will send his angels, weed out the thistles from his kingdom, pitch them in trash, and be done with them. They're going to complain to high heaven, but nobody's going to listen. At the same time, ripe, holy lies will mature and adorn the kingdom of the Father. Are you listening to this? Really listening? And I say that same thing to you. Are you listening to this? Really listening. There are some strange um, apocalyptic visions in the Bible, aren't there? Uh, and have a read through Daniel chapter 7. But focus particularly on verses 13 and 14. Because these visions are of the, the end times. And uh, when finally the power of evil will be destroyed. Um, we've got Ian Russell coming up in a few weeks. And he's going to speak from Matthew, but he's going to talk specifically about the end times. That's going to be an eye-opener for some. It's going to be uh, an encouraging uh, uh, talk for others. Um, but I recommend you don't miss that at all. So Jesus' first coming brought no great and terrible judgment day of the Lord, like it says there, just like many expected. John the Baptist was thinking of passages like Malachi 3, verses 1 and 2, when he proclaimed Jesus coming with a, a winnowing fork in his hand, and he will clear the threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn, and burning the chaff with unquenchable fire. It's no wonder that John urged, he urged, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. John prepared the way for Jesus, but did he understand, did he understand that Jesus was coming not to destroy, but to save? Far bigger issues than temporary rule over parts of the earth were at stake. The fate of all created beings, mind, body, and spirit, eternal. That's what was at stake. And maybe this is why that God set about reestablishing his kingdom in such an extraordinary 
creative yet painful way. Jesus sought God in the desert, as we read earlier, before his earthly ministry began. And those temptations uh, described in Matthew 4 concerned the way in which he would achieve his purpose of reestablishing God's kingdom on earth, his creation. The Roman Empire at the time ruled by fear and might. And Jesus rejected those methods as he rejected the first two temptations. He wouldn't perform spectacular magic tricks or give the people what they wanted in order to win them. With the third temptation, Satan overplayed what he had. The kingdoms of the world may have been in contention, but they never wholly belonged to him. Had Jesus, had God's Son, worshipped Satan at this point, things might have been different. Just imagine that for a moment. It's absurd, isn't it? You can't imagine it, because it wouldn't have happened. Jesus had the full authority, and he sent him packing. Back off, Satan. Back off. After these series of temptations, Jesus began to preach. And Matthew 4 says that the Galileans who'd been living in darkness and under a shadow of death saw not destruction, but a great light. The kingdom of heaven had come near. And it's the grace of God that leads to repentance. And repentance means turning around and living under the rule of a new king. And when we, when we repent, when we receive this new rulership, we're challenged to live in a godly way and oppose evil. But how exactly do you do that? How do you oppose evil in a godly way? I ask the question, how do you fight the good fight? What can you learn from the way God acts when kingdoms are in contention? How do you fight the good fight while living within the kingdom of God? I asked you, what weapon do you choose? Thinking of living righteously, would you choose a different weapon from those who don't yet know Jesus? If you're living righteously, would you choose a different weapon from those who don't yet know Jesus? And if you would choose a different weapon, and that's true repentance, turning from this earthly kingdom and walking into God's kingdom, we change when Jesus comes near. We change when we make the choice to live under his rule and his reign. Who's heard of Gandhi? Pretty much everybody. So you'll know that he was a leader of an Indian independence movement, and he was a very famous pacifist. And reading the Bible, Gandhi, he read the Bible, understood that Jesus had remedies for the injustices that had been bothering him. And Gandhi wondered about changing his religion in order to follow Jesus, to follow this Jesus more closely. Gandhi went along, so it said, to a church in London, and they turned him away, telling him to worship with his own people. Concluding that Christians failed to live out Christ's teaching, he remained in the Hindu religion. But he decided to follow the way in which Jesus brought in 
the kingdom by meeting oppression and injustice with non-violent resistance. He's got this famous quote attributed to him, which has him saying this, I like your Christ, but I do not like your Christians. They are so unlike your Christ. I don't know about you, but I am desperate, desperate to be more like Christ. I hope you are too, if you're a believer. And you know what? There are daily opportunities to grow and be more like him. And we heard a few testimonies just this morning about challenges that come up. But people face them because you've got Jesus on your side. He's in your corner. He's got your towel and your water ready. He'll sort you out. Get back in there and fight the good fight the way that he instructs. Do you know what's amazing about Mahatma Gandhi is that by using this mixture of suffering, service, fasting, and growing moral authority, and also with a little bit of help from his friends, he won independence for this kingdom that was in contention, my kingdom being India. Like any other human being, Gandhi was by no means all good. But he poses a real challenge because while not a Christian, he not only saw Jesus in the scripture, but he followed his seemingly strange ways with amazing, powerful results. I'm going to finish this with this bit of scripture from Matthew 12, verses 15 onwards. A lot of people followed him, Jesus, and he healed them all. He also cautioned them to keep it quiet, following guidelines set down by Isaiah. Look well at my hand-picked servant. I love him so much. Take such delight in him. I've placed my spirit on him. He'll decree justice to the nations. But he won't yell, won't raise his voice. There'll be no commotion in the streets. He won't walk over anyone's feelings. He won't push you into a corner. And before you know it, his justice will triumph. The mere sound of his name will signal hope, even among far-off believers. This is the Jesus that we love. This is the Jesus that, for those of us who are believers, when we prayed a prayer, when we accepted him into our hearts, this is the Jesus that we have a relationship with. A wonderful, kind, compassionate God. And if you're not a believer, you can have access to that same, that same Jesus too. He's just waiting for you to say, I'm ready. I want more of you. And for those of us who are believers, but maybe you're wavering in our walk, you're saying, I'm ready. I'm ready to help you. In whatever way you want me, I'll be there. Because we're not robots. God gave us a choice to love, which ultimately also brought a choice to rebel. He gives us a choice to love, and we can love him. I'm going to finish with um, a bit of a response from you. And uh, we've done this a few times in the past. I'm going to hand out some questions. And I'd like you to spend five, ten minutes picking a question, just talking about it.
Because it's not good enough that you listen to somebody speak, maybe take a few notes, and then maybe they might get closed in your notebook, put away in a cupboard and gather dust, and you might remember one or two things. It's so important that you have a walk with Jesus yourself, that you're learning things about him through his word, through thinking about stuff around his word. And it isn't about any celebrity Christian. It isn't about any preacher. It isn't about any prophet. It's, it's primarily about you and your relationship. And so I'll put these questions together to, to hopefully help you and stimulate you into thinking more about the things that I've just been talking about. And uh, also maybe take them to your life groups as well and continue that conversation. So Pete, can you start to hand these out and gather maybe in groups of five, something like that, five or six, and spend five, ten minutes.